We're building our whole life on Jesus. Come on, you may be thankful today, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Hey, let me be the very first to say happy Groundhog's Day, everybody. Congratulations. Biggest holiday of the year. I'm kidding. I literally remember during that video that it was Groundhog's Day today. So I obviously don't care too much. But you guys well? You doing good? Okay, awesome. Awesome. I love it. Welcome to YA. Um, I know there's a lot of you in here I have not met. So allow me to really quick introduce myself. My name is Doug Weckenman. It's nice to meet you. A little bit about me. I love pizza. I love to golf. I love my wife. Um, these are in no particular order as she would be number one, bringing home the blue ribbon. I love you, babe. And I did not say that just to get brownie points, okay? My brownie point bank account is full to the brim. I don't need any more. I just love her, okay? Love my wife. I love puppies, Right? I love summer. I love this ministry. I love you guys, and I love Jesus. And I guess he would actually be number one, but kind of hard to compete with God, babe. Sorry about that. I know you'd say the same thing, though. Um, and that's pretty much me. I'm a simple guy. I uh, dream in two dimensions and usually think in terms of shapes and colors, but I mean well, and I try really hard, and I'm here, and you're here, and I love Jesus, and it's going to be a good night. And the reason I know that is not because of a message. It's not even because of some worship songs or the fact that I know how epic the worship set that we have coming up at the end of the night is. It's because the Spirit of God is in this place, and he, He's just changing lives every single Thursday in this room, and this night's not going to be any different. And so welcome to YA. It's a good thing that you're here tonight. It's going to be an epic night. If this is your first time here or if this is your first time in 2017, let me just catch you up really quick. We are in part four of a five-part series that we are doing called His. As you saw from that incredible video that the very talented Charlotte Areno made, shout out to her, but... And that video, honestly, the video and even graphics this beautifully done all serve to give glory and honor where glory and honor is due, and that's in his direction, and that's what we're doing with this series. We're pressing pause right now at the very beginning of the year, and we are making a grand declaration, both personally in our lives and as a ministry as a whole, that um, the first fruits of this year are his, right? They belong to him. Like this is a divine order that we want to make sure we get right. Because when you get it out of order, when you get it out of order and you find yourself kind of focused like internally, like you're focused on you and that's where your gaze is fixed is everything that's going on with me, that's typically when things begin to start to fall apart in your life. But when you fix that and you seek his kingdom first and you get your eyes up and your focus is on him, you'll begin to see everything kind of just in some weird way start to find its place. And that's also, by the way, where your soul finds its rest. And if any of those things sound appealing to you, just know that's a promise straight from Jesus to you. If you would just simply seek him and his kingdom first, he will take care of everything else. And so this is the perfect series to start the year with because we are remembering that the glory is his, the kingdom is his. The praise is his. The earth is his and the fullness thereof. We are his and his presence is here in this room tonight. Do you guys believe that? You 
believe that his presence is here? I actually know for a fact that he is. I kind of cheated because I know God is omnipresent, which means he's everywhere always, and that includes here. But Jesus said, where two or more are gathered, which is what we have here, where two or more are gathered, eager to meet with him and eager to praise him, he's present in a different manifest kind of way, okay? And that's what we're gonna experience in this place tonight. And so whatever kind of week that you've had, whether it's been awesome, whether it's just been like a mundane, ordinary week, or whether it's been the worst week ever, like without knowing any of the details, I do know this, that with Jesus, you have God, which means eternally speaking, you have absolutely everything. And I believe tonight, God wants to remind you of that in a very, very rich way, okay? So we're about to pray. And actually, would you guys stand up as we, as we pray? I'll explain why in a second. When I was little, I used to think you had to go outside to pray because at the time, I did not know that God could magically see through roofs. Now I know he can, so we're good. We don't have to go outside, but just remember, we don't do this prayer thing because it's a motion that we go through on Thursday night. You're supposed to pray at the beginning of a message. We do this, like we're about to talk to our creator right now. And what's crazier than that is he's about to listen, okay? And so pray this with me, believe this with me, okay? Believe this with me right now. And just know the very chair you're sitting in tonight has been prayed over multiple times this week. And if you want God, you always get God, okay? And so let's take whatever distractions that were brought in here with you and let's put them behind us right now. Let's take all of our stressful and anxious thoughts captive because we can, because we've been given authority to do so. And I would hate for this night to be robbed from you because you didn't take something captive that you could have, right? And so let's do that. Let's humble ourselves and let's ready our hearts to hear from heaven. Let's pray. Father, we come before you tonight, not out of nonchalance, but understanding who you are and how worthy you are. We come before you, some of us distracted, exhausted, tired, anxious, stressed out. Some of us jaded by the world in one way, shape, or form. Some of us having an awful week. Some of us afraid of something. Some of us, God, just doubting if you're even there, if you're even real, if you even care. And God, I love you so much because you understand all of it. You understand all of it. Being a good father is not just what you do, it's who you are. Loving us is not just what you do, it's who you are, God. And so tonight we come before you and we lay all of this stuff at your feet and we just pray this one simple prayer that we would experience more of you tonight. Woo us forward into more of your presence, God. We love you so much for how good you are and how generous and gracious you are, God. The glory is yours. And we pray all of these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Depending on what's socially acceptable, give away three high fives, three hugs, or three wet willies, and then you can take a seat. Do not give a wet willy to somebody you don't know. I just feel like I have to say that right now for somebody in here, or you will be that guy that nobody likes. All right, if you're taking notes, there's energy in here. I like it. Thanks for bringing it. Thanks for bringing expectancy every single week, guys. If you're taking notes, the title of this message is, My Salvation is in His Hands. My Salvation is in His Hands. And I want to begin with story time tonight, if that's okay with you. Any pizza fans in the room tonight? 
Oh, hey, brothers and sisters, I thought there might have been some of you out there. Like, if you don't like pizza, you might as well get the heck out of here right now. Who doesn't like, like, ushers, come forward, get these people out of here. I'm kidding, you're welcome here, always. You need this. If you don't like pizza, you need this. If you're a pizza connoisseur, you might recognize the following name, Cosmos Pizza. Cosmos Pizza, okay? It's, uh, there's one in Denver. The staple one is up in Boulder. And if you've been to Cosmos Pizza, you understand that taking a bite of a slice of Cosmos Pizza is not like taking a bite of a slice of any old normal slice of pizza. Like, it's a spiritual experience. When you ha- like, when you're holding a piece of pepperoni pizza that's piping hot straight out of the oven and you have to, like, fold it to keep the grease on there and all the, s- the spicy ranch that you smothered all over it, like, you literally... Like, like what you're thinking in that moment is like, did Jesus return and is this new earth? Because I think it might be. Because if heaven tastes anything like what that slice of pizza tastes like, guys, we are in for a treat. We are going to love heaven. Like you experience God via Cosmos Pizza. And so if you're looking for like a new method for like a devotional quiet time, just try Cosmos because you'll take a bite and then you will apparate to the throne room, straight to the throne room every time. And I practice what I preach. I had it last night, okay? And today I have felt like Jesus has been physically standing next to me all day. And and that doesn't always happen and so I can chalk it up to the pizza. I just know for a fact it's Cosmos. And um, if for some reason the owner of Cosmos is watching this, you're welcome for the free advertisement and I'd love a free pizza the next time I come in. Here's what's most impressive about Cosmos. I still love it, despite the incident. You probably want to know what the incident was. A few years ago, I was at the Cosmos in Boulder late one night with a few of my friends, including Sam, that's short for Samantha, that's my wife, and we were in the corner booth in Cosmos, and I'm sitting in the very corner of the corner booth just experiencing God through Cosmos Pizza, right? Just, in, I'm worshiping, is what, like, and you think I'm kidding about this, but I'm, I'm like praising God with every bite that he is so good and so gracious as to make something this delicious, right? Like it, it, it leads me to God, it really does, every single time. And so, and so, and I'm minding my own business in the corner of Cosmos, just eating some pizza, and on the table, there is a set of keys that belong to my friend, Kelsey. And on this set of keys is this bright, plastic purpley looking keychain thing that looks like a to- it looks like a pez dispenser like a toy turns out there's nothing toyish about this keychain because it is in fact pepper spray okay except it doesn't say anywhere on it like hey warning this is pepper spray be careful with this it looks like a pez dispenser okay and before but i know what you're thinking i didn't pick it up and try to use it as a pez dispenser and accidentally mace my throat, okay? I did not do that. Remember, I'm, I'm happy, I'm content, not looking for trouble, not bothering anybody, just trying to enjoy some pizza, okay? And so my friend who's sitting across from me, and I won't say his name because I don't wanna embarrass him if he listens to this, Ben Song, his name's Ben Song. <laughs> S-O-N-G, Ben Song, that's his name. This is the guy, he did this. The story's about him. Ben sees this set of keys with the purple plastic keychain, and, and he's curious. Ben was such a curious guy, such a curious guy. And he picks it up, and he's holding it like this. I'm sitting across from him. Literally, he holds it like this and goes, oh, there's a button. What does this button do? 
And they say curiosity salted the snail, but I say curiosity pepper sprayed Doug straight in the face from 18 inches away. I'm not kidding you. He was like, oh, there's a button, like mace straight into my eyeballs. And it burns so bad. Like the entire restaurant had to shut down for the rest of the night because of one spray of this pepper spray. Okay. And I'm in the corner, like trapped, unable to breathe, unable to see, like in excruciating pain, right? Just like with pizza in heaven to pepper spray in hell in less than a literal second. And like we all, we all rush to get outside because nobody can breathe. We run outside, it's January, it's snowing, and I'm pouring ice cold water all over my face and my eyes because it's burning. And for three minutes, I'm not exaggerating this, for three of the longest minutes of my life, I can't see and I'm thinking, I am blind now. I'm gonna be freaking blind for the rest of my life because Ben and this stupid purple pepper spray thing. I'm not, I'm not making any of this up. And so here's what we do. Um, freezing cold with vision kind of coming back, but the burning sensation stays for a long, long time, okay? It does. So we go back to Sam's house and she's Googling like home remedies for being pepper sprayed in the face. And turns out there's a lot out there, like articles, YouTube videos, which begs the question, like who are the people who like make these YouTube videos? Like it's a Friday night, what will I do? I'll make a home remedy for pepper spray victims for some hypothetical guy, some hypothetical day in the future who could benefit from this. Like, I'm not dogging on it. I'm saying I appreciate it a lot. But if you're taking notes and you want to know the top two remedies that work the best, if you ever get maced in the face, God forbid you are a loved one one day, laundry detergent mixed with water that you rub all over your skin, and then 2% milk that you can pour into your eyes because it like somehow neutralizes the burn, but only temporarily, right? Only for like a couple minutes until the burning sensation comes back. And um, so here, here's what my life consisted of. For like three hours, I was up on the counter in, um, she was my girlfriend at the time, she's now my wife, on the counter with my head, my neck and my shoulders in the sink while Sam, my hero, patiently and constantly just put, just put um, laundry detergent all over my face and constantly poured 2% milk in my eyes, like every few minutes for three hours. And this, this brings me to Romans chapter seven. <laughs> Obviously, where else would you go at this point in the story, right? And you'll see why in a second. Um, but basically, long story short, there was a problem, something was wrong. I had pepper sprayed eyeballs. Something was wrong. We had some fixes, but neither of them was a permanent solution, right? We had fixes and they briefly helped the symptoms, but did not fix the problem. They briefly helped the symptoms, but did not 100% fix the problems. And so here's the hashtag transition. As human beings, Every single human being knows at some level inside of them that something is wrong in the world, right? Like I could drop the, just turn on the news line, but seriously, like, like just turn on the news and you find out very quickly, like Christians and non-Christians alike, to everybody, it's no secret that the world is broken, the world has fallen, and bad things happen because people do bad things. That's no secret to, to anybody, that in our world there's things like Murder and divorce and poverty and hunger and racism and earthquakes and tsunamis and sickness and pepper spray and the New England Patriots and cats and, and all of these horrible things. And, and, and also within human beings, just this general lack of contentment, fulfillment, 
fulfillment and, and happiness from people of every single tax bracket. It's no secret. And everybody also understands at some level, whether consciously or subconsciously, that it, it should be better. Like you turn on the news, you see these horrible things, and you think, it shouldn't be like this. I know it's supposed to be better than this. Like, it should be easier to fix all of these problems. It should be easier to, to love my neighbor as myself and to think of others before I think of me and to love my... Like, it should be easier to do the things I know I'm supposed to do and not do the things I know that I'm not supposed to do. Like, things should be better than this. It's not supposed to be this way. And even non-Christians, for some reason, would tell you the exact same thing, that for some reason, I know it's not supposed to be like this. It should be better than what it is. And Paul's about to show us in the world's most relatable way, very authentically, with vulnerability, which I really appreciate here. In Romans 7, starting in verse 15, Paul says this, what I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. And quick pause really quick. He's saying it's a good thing that I have a God, that we have a God who tells us what to do and tells us what not to do because we understand God is not trying to rob from us but rather trying to give to us and lead us into the fullness of life that he is the divine engineer of. And Paul says, man, God, it's good that you're there to tell me what to do and to, and to tell me what to stay away from. I need that. But he says this, but, but, but I need something more. It's not quite enough. I need something more, for I know the law, but I still can't keep it. He's saying, you tell me what to do, but I'm not good at doing what you tell me what to do. And, and if all the power of sin that's within me, and like, I'm sorry, and if the power of sin within me, that is within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do that anyways. Like anybody else besides me feeling better at this point that you're not alone, my decisions, such as they are, do not result in actions. Translations, I make resolutions, but none of them convert every single year. And here's the key right here. Something has gone wrong. And it's gone wrong deep within me. And I feel it. And it gets the better of me every single time. Something is not the way it's supposed to be in me and also in the world. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is right there to trip me up. And so there it is, the Apostle Paul, golden boy of Christianity, poster child for our faith right here, being human in front of us and simultaneously giving all of us permission to be flawed. He's giving you permission to not feel like you need to put on a show when you come to church or pretend that you have things more together than you really do. Why? Because something is wrong. Something is wrong and that something that is wrong lives inside of you. And so my issues, your issues, the world's issues that manifest themselves in a thousand different ways are symptoms, symptoms of the real problem or the one real disease called sin. And this is really important that you get this, that sin is not something you do. Sin, sin is something that you have. It's not something you do. It's something that you have that causes you to do things you don't want to do, think things you don't want to think, say things you don't want, like think, like 
say things you don't want to say and behave in ways that you wish you didn't, right? Sin is not something you do, it's something that you have. You're, you're not a sinner because you just happen to sin sometimes. You already are a sinner. David said, I was brought forth in iniquity. I was born with sin inside of me, therefore I go and I sin. And you're like, dude, why are you bumming me out with this kind of news on a Thursday night? I was doing so well. And I would say two reasons really quick. Number one, because honestly, I think this just serves to explain something you already feel what I already feel, that like, man, there is something wrong, and I'm not crazy. It's like an x-ray into here to reveal what's really happening to explain it. Like, I'm not crazy. I'm just a human being complete with the human condition, the same human condition that you have, the same condition that the Apostle Paul had. That's number one. Number two, because the bad news makes the good news that much better, and we'll get to that. But the bad news gives you a reason to worship the good news. And so listen, because this is important. So if the problem or the disease in the world is one disease called sin, then that means things like racism and hatred, those things are horrible issues, but they are not the issue, the problem. They stem from the, the, something deeper. They, they're symptoms of a disease called sin, the fallen human heart. Just like headaches, achiness, a runny nose, those are symptoms of a disease called the flu. In the same way, lust, greed, sex trafficking, red light districts, pornography, greed, slums, poverty, those horrible things, those are symptoms of a common disease of sin, the fallen human heart. And we can talk about symptoms that stem from human beings and see that it traces all the way back to the original disease of sin. We can even talk about symptoms that have nothing to do with human beings. We can talk about symptoms of mother nature in our planet and see that they stem from the exact same disease. Things like tsunamis or earthquakes or tornadoes, those things that we know like, man, I feel like those are not supposed to exist for some reason in this world. Those things are also symptoms of sin because sin lives in the fractured DNA of every single atom in the entire universe. That's why Romans 8, it's crazy. If you go and read it sometimes, sometime the Bible literally says that like our planet, our planet itself like groans and shakes and quakes and roars and rolls. And like when tectonic plates shift and when the ocean rolls, when the wolf howls, that like somehow even mother nature realizes that something is off. Off, and something is not the way it's supposed to be. And somehow, even like Mother Nature is remembering back to how it used to be in the garden before sin came into the world like a cancer and ruined everything. Like even like the mountains, the trees, the rocks, like somehow they get this and they're crying out for Jesus just to come back and do away with sin, this horrible disease once and for all so that things can go back to the way they used to be, to the way that, that things should be. And you better believe that nature acts out violently violently because the severity of the disease warrants that kind of violence. It really does. But we see that these are all symptoms of one common thing, and they're all problems, but they're not the problem. The problem is, is sin, something we can't do anything about on our own. And so what do we do? Well, as human beings, we, we are all about symptom solving, is what I've been ca calling it. We're all about symptom solving, both on a human personal level and on a global, more corporate level. We, we go after the symptoms and we go after them with all of our hearts and we, and we should do that. But all we can do as human beings is, is symptom solving. And so if you think about it like on the human personal level, like we're currently in the self-help age and we spend millions if not billions of dollars 
every single year, uh, going after the symptoms, making those symptoms better because we think, man, if I can, if I can be a little bit fitter, a little bit wealthier, a little bit skinnier, and, and have a little bit more friends and finally have a wife or a husband or my future job or my dream house or any of these things, we think that if we could just get to that point that that's gonna do the trick, but then we get there and find out that, that that's actually not true because just by, by, by changing your behavior, you can't touch who you really are underneath. By fixing what's on the surface, you don't touch what's at the core, which is why Matt Chandler would always say, like that future version of you, when you close your eyes and you imagine yourself 10 years from now with six-pack abs and dollar bills falling out of your pocket, that version of you will disappoint you and let you down just as much as the current version of you will disappoint you and let you down. Why? Because symptom-solving alone, although beneficial and something we should do, doesn't fix the disease inside of you. It's like pouring milk on pepper-sprayed eyes. And you think about that on a personal human level, and then we can get up to like 35,000 feet and see it on a global level also. We can fight sex trafficking all we want, and we absolutely should. Hear my heart on that. We should seek to end hunger and poverty. We should we should fight hard against social injustice. And as, as Christians, we should be on the front lines of, of, of all of those things. But as Christians, we should be on those front lines with the remedy for the disease, not just a quick fix for the symptoms, with the remedy for the actual disease. Any attempt to change the world by only treating surface issues without the remedy for what's really happening at the core is, although admirable, at some level, like putting a Band-Aid on a gaping wound is what it is. The disease is sin, and it's the bad news. It's the bad news of the Bible, the bad news that you feel. And sometimes it's good just to make a little sense of it, like an x-ray into what's really happening. And left in our own hands by ourselves as human beings, we do not possess the ability or the power to do anything about the main disease, about sin. We can't fight it. There's no tool or resource available to you to, to fix sin at the core level of who you are, right? You can't, there's no doctor you can go to, surgeon, that's going to put you under, open you up, and take sin out of you. As human beings, there's nothing that we can do about it. But, but that, that's what makes the good news so good is that it's not in our hands and it's not been left up to us to do that. God has not put the weight of dealing with everything that's wrong. He's not put that weight on our shoulders. He's kept that weight on his shoulders and in his hands through his blood, he has provided an answer. The remedy is the good news, the good part of the Bible. He is a person. His name is Jesus Christ. This is his answer, his remedy, his power, his blood. My salvation is in his hands. And so we can symptom solve... We can symptom solve, and we should, but not at the cost of failing to offer the remedy for the actual disease, which is a person named Jesus Christ. Because you get rid of the flu, all the other symptoms are going to go away too. And one day, Jesus is going to come back like he's dealt with sin, but one day, he's going to come back a little bit different than how he came the first time as a baby in a manger. He's coming back on a white horse after he splits the sky open with fire in his eyes and a sword coming out of his mouth. And he's going to make the old new through a refining process once and for all and sin is going to be gone along with every single bad symptom you could ever think of for the rest of eternity gone back to how it was in the garden the way it was created to be the way the way it should be the way that God wants us wants it to be the way we all sense 
we know it should be. He's coming back to do that. And that refining process, although it probably sounds like, like a beautiful thing that maybe we want to set up some bleachers and watch Jesus refine the old and make it new, like I, I don't think that's something that we would even want to witness because I know grace is a churchy sounding word, but grace can be extremely violent when it comes to destroying sin. And that's what Jesus is going to do when he comes back for the second time. But for tonight, for tonight, where we're kind of landing this message we're landing this message here, but understand this is the beginning point. This is the starting point for every single Christian. And we should never get away from what we're going to talk about right here because this is everything, you guys. This point right here that we're about to talk about is everything. The power behind understanding and receiving what we're about to talk about could lead to freedom in your life that you, you didn't even think was possible. This is, this is everything if you can get what we're going to talk about. So really quick, you should symptom solve. You should try and be better and do what God tells you. You should bring your life beneath his authority because after all, he is more about your joy and your peace and your vitality than you are. He's more for it. He's more for your success as a human being in general than even you are, I promise you. So you should line your life up beneath his authority. But Romans 7 outlined the problem, which we just talked about. And Romans 8, the very next chapter, is about to give us the remedy. And the remedy is not an antibiotic or cough syrup like it would be for a flu. It's not a new set of 10 commandments that maybe we can obey these ones and somehow behave our way into healing. We can't. Here's what it is, and I'm going to say it a few times, multiple times, because I never want you to forget this right here. The remedy that Jesus has brought, that if you will believe it and receive it, will change everything about your walk as a Christian is a position. Your remedy is a position. His remedy is a position. You've been given the ultimate position, free of charge, a position given to you by a person, a position in Christ, a position in the spirit. And I'm convinced like the most important thing that you could dwell on, think of, meditate on, if you spent the, the rest of 2017 trying to understand and receive your position in Christ, that would be a year well spent because your position that is permanently sustained and controlled by him and his blood, not by you and your ups and downs and ebbs and flows, is a position that changes the game completely. Now, I heard a sermon by a pastor named Judah Smith regarding Romans 8 in this way. It clicked for me on a new level, and so I owe this to him. But I wanted to share it with you guys because this is, this is everything. Like, you want less symptoms in your life? You still have those thoughts that by this point in your life, you thought that you would have matured beyond? You still struggle with those same habitual sins that, quite frankly, you're embarrassed to even admit them to your closest friend? Like, you want to finally get past that? This is how you're going to do it. This is like, go after the symptoms, fight it on the surface level. That's just called wisdom. But to take care of the disease is to make the symptoms slowly begin to disappear. And here's how you do that. It's by understanding your position in Christ. And he outlines it for us in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 5. Here we go. He's going to talk about two positions that you'll notice, so pay attention for him. For those who live according to the flesh, there's the first one, set their mind, minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the what? To the spirit. That's the second one. Those who live according to the spirit set their mind on the things of the spirit. For to set your mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. 
For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And so at first glance, here's what I'm seeing. To me, it looks like there's these two positions, flesh and the spirit, that I spend my time the majority of the day teetering back and forth in between, right? I'm in the spirit, now I'm in the flesh, right? Like, yes, living life by the spirit, dang it, now I'm, I'm thinking about the, the flesh again, right? I'm in, I'm in, baby, I'm in. Oh, I screwed up, I'm back out. I'm in, I'm in the spirit today, man, pleasing God, he's pumped. Oh, but to, to tomorrow, I, I'm back in the flesh and pleasing God today, God's disappointed with me tomorrow, spirit, flesh. And by the way, this is an exhausting way to live out your faith. And it's not the point of these four verses at all, at all. Which is why the next verse, Romans 8, 9, is one of my new favorite Bible verses. Let's look at this. You, however, Christian, you are not in the flesh. That's no longer your position. To be out is no longer your position. But you are in the spirit if, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. So you, Christian, if, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, which, by the way, that happens when you put your faith in Jesus, and you'll know that the spirit of God is alive and at work within you, not because you feel it all the time just so you know, but because you put your faith in Jesus as your savior and, and, and announced him as the Lord of your life. And Jesus says that in that moment, the spirit of God comes into your life. So you know, because Jesus said so. And Paul is saying, you Christian are no longer in the flesh and you'll never be in that kind of position again. You can act like you're in the flesh, but it doesn't change the fact that your position is now the spirit. You can act like you're not a Christian. Some weeks you can act really, really well from an outside view looking in like you're not a Christian does not change the fact that you are. This is now your new position given to you by Jesus, signed, sealed, and written in his blood. And that can't be undone by the simple fact that you still have symptoms that you deal with. And this is now your position. And the position is the remedy for everything that you've never been able to fix in your life, in our globe. Your position as a Christian is the remedy for everything that you've never been able to fix. Judah Smith made a great point. He said, sometimes as Christians, we can completely sabotage ourselves just by our Christian vernacular and some of the verbiage that we choose to describe certain things about our faith, like, like this one, for instance, which I've been guilty of, like saying, God really showed up today, man. He really showed up in a big way. Because what you're doing is you're, you're kind of saying, wait, you're, you're, you're failing to acknowledge the fact that God's actually everywhere always. So how can he show up if he's everywhere always? Because, like, let's face it, like, you're a different kind of Christian. You're something less, something less powerful as a follower of Jesus when you live your day. I wonder if he's going to show up today. I hope he does. You're something less of a Christian than when you live your day like he's already here, he's everywhere, he's going with me everywhere I go, and he's alive and at work within me. That's a different kind of Christian. And we can sometimes sabotage ourselves just by the words that we use to describe things that are actually not in the Bible at all. So that one, and then here's another one. I've been guilty of this too. See if you have. Like, man, I'm far from God, man. Like, I've drifted, if you know what I mean. I, like, like, I'm way over here. God's way over there. Like, I need to get back, dude. Like, 2017, my New Year's resolution is to make it back to God. 
That's what I want to do. That's what I need to do. And I've been guilty of that. I don't know if you've thought that. If you have thought that, let me ask you, who told you, Christian, that your inability to behave has gotten you far away from God? Who told you that? Where did you hear that? Who told you, like you may have drifted from acting like a Christian, but you have not drifted from God. You may have drifted like all the way over here in your behavior and you're wondering where God is. Bam, he's right here because he's with you everywhere you go because he's alive and at work inside of you. Your position is your position and, and salvation is in his hands, not yours. And so that, that puts, that puts, and Ben, you guys can get back out here. That puts to death Living, living like this, an in and out kind of theology, from the spirit to the flesh, from the spirit to the flesh, where you're like, man, living by the spirit today, man. Living by the spirit, it's feeling good. Oh, man, I'm living by the flesh now. Living by the flesh. I gotta make it back. I gotta, okay, let's see. I can, okay, I'm back in the spirit, baby. It feels good. I'll never be out again. This feels like me and God are like this. JC's my boy. Like, this is where I'm at in the spirit, baby. Except there's this party. I really want to go. Oh, I went to the party, drank a little bit too much. I'm out. Dang it, I'm out. Dang it. I knew it. I got to get back, man. I got to get back. I got to get back. Let's see. I'll go to YA, give this homeless guy five bucks. Journal, 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 journal. Three days in a row. I'm back in, baby. Here we go. Back in the spirit. Woo! God's pumped with me right now, right? Feel all of these things. Back in the spirit. Oh, looked at porn again. Crap, I'm out. God's probably pissed too. I'll give him a few days to cool down before I do. I gotta get back though. I gotta get back. Let me see if I can just be, hey, like it's been a good week. Another good week. Oh, I'm back in. Another good week. I'm staying in, man. This is, this is the new me. You're looking at it like, oh, but now depression is back. And surely I can't be depressed and be in at the same time. So I'm out. And to be honest with you, it's a little less exhausting when, I, when I'm not trying to stay in and keep myself in. So maybe I'll just stay here and I'll stay out and I'll stay flesh. Oh, but the Red Conference was so good. The sermons were so awesome. Look at my notes, man. So pumped up, rededicated. I'm back in the spirit. You're looking at a new me. It will be like this for the rest of my life. I am vowing right here, right now, that I will never, ever, ever, ever. Oh, but there's another party this week, and I don't want to go. I kind of do want to go, and I, I went to the party. Oh, real moment of weakness, and I slept with somebody on that night, and so, dude, I'm out but this time I'm not just, I'm not just out. I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm way out. And this ain't just a, I'll get back overnight, come back kind of thing, or, or a week. This is a journey that, dude, I, God's gotta be so mad for me to, but I'll get my way back. He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. I'm in the spirit. He's so pumped. He's proud of me. Oh, I'm back in the flesh. God's mad. He's so disappointed. He loves me. He loves me not. I'm in. Now I'm out. I'm in and now I'm out. Oh, and then your friend who doesn't know Jesus walks up and is like, dude, are you okay? Like, what the heck is wrong with you? And you go, I'm in. I'm out. Oh, what's up, man? Oh, no, it's cool. I, I'm just a Christian. Don't worry about it, man. Hey, by the way, you need to get on this because it's awesome. I know. I know that I look like I'm in my own personal hell right now, but hypothetically, this is supposed to be legit, dude. You should come to church. You should come to church with me this weekend. And your friends just go, dude, I, <laughs> I'm good, man. You do you, and you call me if you exhaust yourself out and just need somebody to hang out with. Because who, 
Who, who would see that and be like, that looks awesome? Who would see that and call that freedom from the outside looking in? Like, would you, living that with this in and out theology, do you call that freedom? This position to this position, this position, as long as I can hold on to, oh, I lost it. Dang it, I'm back out. Like, in and out makes for an awesome fast food burger restaurant joint. But it makes for a horrible, stupid, unbiblical, and exhausting way to live out your faith. Exhausting way to live out your faith. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Then you're in, period, you're in. That is now your position. You are now in and you're not out because you went to that party. You're not out because you drank a little bit too much that night. You're not out because you can't stop comparing yourself to everybody else around you. You're not out because you struggle with greed. You're not out for any of, you're not out because you did drugs that one night. You're not out because you know these dark thoughts that you have that you're too afraid to tell anybody about. You're not out because you're depressed. You're not out because you have anxious thoughts. You're not out because you flipped that guy off in your car and you said the F word a couple times last week. You're not out because of any of those things. And do you wanna know why? Because you're not the one who got yourself in, in the first place. Therefore, you're not gonna get out because of your symptoms. I love you, you're not powerful enough to make wrong what he has made right. You're not powerful enough to make wrong what he has made right. Tim Keller would say, you're saved by the object of your faith, not the strength of your faith. It's not the faith that you can muster, it's his side doing everything that we needed him to do. This is in his hands. My salvation is in his hands. My position is in his hands and that's not gonna be taken away from you because of any symptoms you might still be dealing with right now. You're not gonna lose that. You're positionally perfect despite the fact that you are very much a work in progress in how you live out your faith on this planet right now in this week. God sees you as perfect. This is Hebrews 10, 14. For by one sacrifice, he has made forever those who are being made holy. By one sacrifice, he has made perfect. He has made you perfect. He sees you as undefeated, sees you as perfect right now, despite the fact that you're still being made holy, despite the fact that you're still a work in progress, already, but not yet. And so it looks like despite the fact that you're still struggling with a few symptoms, he sees you as undefeated. Why? Because that's your position. How? Because your salvation is not in your hands, it's in his hands. And I was talking to Jess about this the other day and she phrased it this way, and I put it into these two sentences that I wanna put up on the screen. If you're taking notes, please write this down. If you're not, pull out your phone and write these down because if you could, if you could believe this and receive this and ponder what it means and, and actually like, you know how Sometimes news seems too good to be true as Christians. It really, like we have a hard time as young adults receiving things because we wonder like, okay, but there's a catch. And we wouldn't say that out loud, out loud because we know biblically there's not, but in here we're like, no, but there has to be a catch. But kids, when they get up on Christmas morning and they run downstairs and see presents under the tree, they don't ask, why are these presents here? They just receive the presents so easily. And if you could receive this position and receive these two sentences, it would change everything about your life. Put it up right now. Here it is. There is a person you already are in Christ. That's your position. There's a person you already are in Christ. And now 
you're learning to live like it's true. There is a person you already are in Christ, and now you're learning to live like it's true. There's a position that you already have in Christ, and now you're just learning to live how it's true. You're just trying to believe it and get to the point where you can actually receive and believe news that, 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 that is that good about you and about your life. This is a position that will change everything when you understand, like next time you fall short and do something where you mess up, like, let that be your test, how you respond in that moment, what you feel. If you feel any bit about yourself, that's like, I can't go to God right now. I cannot approach the throne of grace with confidence and maybe I'll give him a chance to cool down. Maybe I'll go punish myself by removing myself from God for a couple of days and, and throw in a pity party for myself until, until it's time to make my comeback and get back in again. Like if you feel any of that, all that is is a misunderstanding of your position and a misunderstanding of the gospel. So let that be your test to how much you've been receiving it. So next time you mess up, you can fall forward and use it as a gift to reveal to yourself that, man, I need to receive my position more. I'm in and I'm not out. I can't get out. I'm not powerful enough to get out. This is his ability to save you, not your ability to be savable. His ability to save you, and you do not possess the power or the ability to make wrong what he has made right, which by the way, Christian, is you. You've been made right. And, and so what is this? This is grace. In the ultimate way, this is grace. This is the gospel. And does it mean, okay, so now I live with grace, and so the symptoms are fine, and I, I don't symptom solve anymore, and I just, I just do whatever I want? Absolutely not. That's a fundamental misunderstanding of what Jesus has done for you. In a, in a huge way. But you understand that your motivation now because of this position and because of grace has been changed from fear to love. You're no longer motivated by the fear that you're gonna fall out if you don't behave enough to stay in. That's a, that's a fear that Jesus came to do away with. Your motivation now is love. Understanding that what you've been, like this position you've been given, do you understand how expensive this gift is that you've been given freely? The price that God had to pay for this position so that he could, like it's infinity dollars times infinity dollars. That's how expensive this gift of a position of the spirit is and it's been given to you. So act, act tonight and sing tonight and praise tonight like, like you've received it. Don't act like how you behaved last night or last week, sing tonight from your position that's been purchased for you with a price that you can't even fathom, that it's yours, that we have reason to celebrate, that he is here and that it's sustained not by my hands, my salvation is in his hands and, and my position is not in my hands, my position is being secured right now by the one whose love never changes and the one who, who's, who will stay the same through the ages and dude, we, we just gotta sing right now, I'm done, I'm gonna stop, can you guys just stand because I don't wanna take any time away from us praising him the glory is his the praise is his what he has done for us you will not understand fully until one day you're in glory with him but we can start by receiving it and when we sing something happens man when we sing this isn't just emotion like prayer this is there's spirit like if we could see into the spiritual realm if we could buy 
goggles that you put on and you could see what's happening spiritually around here. Like you get 10 seconds of a view of that and you're gonna spend the rest of your life singing a lot harder than you did before you saw that. Like, like this does something, this does something, not just in your soul and in your spirit, but in the world when we sing him, when we give the praise to him. So Father, we love you so much and we are so grateful for this position, Jesus, that you paid the ultimate price being crushed for our, on our behalf and, and being pierced for our transgressions just to give us a position in the spirit. And I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that sometimes, that way too often I live from my behavior and not from my position. And I live with this in and out theology rather than understanding that I'm in and I couldn't get out even if for some reason I wanted to because you're just that good at doing what you do. And so tonight we acknowledge that you are worthy. The glory is yours. The first fruits are yours. Our lives are yours. The earth is yours and the fullness thereof and everything in it. Eternity is yours. The kingdom is yours. And tonight we love you and we sing like we know it's true. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.